Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the lands we record this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, as well as the Wanarua and the Gamilaroi people. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. Tomorrow, Aussies who haven't already voted in early polling booths or who've returned their vote via the post will line up at primary schools and community halls across the country, inhaling the scent of democracy sausages sizzling and either trying to cram in some study on their local candidates from their volunteers handing out literature and last second Googling on their phones or just trying to avoid being handed the paperwork altogether. I feel sorry for the women of Australia over the next couple of days and anyone in a marginal seat because they are going to be absolutely hammered by politics. I think if they haven't voted already, that democracy sausage is going to go down pretty well on Saturday because everyone can finally just say enough. But much like many of our high school experiences, consider today's quickie a last-ditch cramming session, a breakdown of the election campaign so far to try and figure out exactly whose box you'll be giving the number one to at the polling booth tomorrow. Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. So far this election, we've heard where our politicians sit on things like climate change. What I'm calling for is a minimum 50% cut in carbon emissions by 2030. Anybody can pick a target and say, we'll get this or we'll get that. You've got to explain how. What the scientists are telling us is that we've got a closing window to tackle the climate crisis, and that window is probably about the next 10 years. There are political motivations to want to talk Australia down in so many areas. It's not just, just climate. Lots of people like to talk Australia down. I think that's unfortunate. We have a very good story to tell. Healthcare. We know that in any one year, 4 million Australians have a challenge with mental health. I would say our public hospital system is at breaking point. It's in crisis. I think the thing that has shocked me most is the state of general practice. It is harder and more expensive than it's ever been to see a general practitioner, and I think it's only going to get harder. The biggest issue from our perspective is probably getting dental and mental health into Medicare. The pros and cons of voting for independence. 
independence is about representing your community rather than your party. I'm not standing for this so I can get a bigger job and be a minister and or anything like that. I'm standing because I want to represent the community. Decisions get made by political parties and anybody that thinks that they could make decisions on their own is kidding themselves. And it's an extraordinary level of hubris to suggest that you know best for everybody. And where the major parties sit in the big picture. I would probably put the Nationals a little bit to the right of the Liberal Party, largely because there aren't really a thing called moderate Nationals. And there's also another reason that they sit there and and are sort of pushing even further right, and that is that they're under siege on their right flank by these smaller populist parties, Pauline Hanson's One Nation and Clive Palmer's eponymous outfit, a bit like the Libs and the Nats see their competition on the right from Palmer and Pauline Hanson, Labor sees its competition on its left flank from the Greens in particular. You know, both of these major parties are being stretched on their outer flanks by smaller parties. So how have the Coalition and Labor fared over this election campaign? Which minor parties have come out of the past few weeks on top? And what policy announcements have caught our attention? To help us unpack all that is The Guardian Australia's political reporter, Amy Ramikis. Amy, can we start with the coalition? What do we make of Scott Morrison sort of now saying he would have done things differently? It's been really interesting because, you know, we started this campaign with Scott Morrison saying, you're going to need me to lead you through the next couple of years, just like I've led you through the years previously. We need more strong leadership and now is not the time to take a risk on Labor. So we had that as, you know, the beginning of the campaign, I suppose. Then it started coming out through the opinion polls. And I don't just mean the ones that, you know, you see in newspapers and in the media but through the ones that the political parties do themselves. They do a lot of research. They get a lot of focus groups. They do a lot of polling just to see how people are feeling as the election campaign rolls on. And so then we got to a point at the end of week five of this six-week campaign where Scott Morrison suddenly turns around and says, you know what, actually, I recognise that I've been a bit of a bulldozer and that I need to change. I need to consult more. And as we move on, you'll see a different Scott Morrison. And so that grabbed headlines for a couple of days because, you know, we're getting Scott Morrison 2.0. But then we fast forward to Wednesday, which is five days after he first did his mea culpa. And Scott Morrison is back to saying, well, what's wrong with being a bulldozer? You need strong people to take you through all of the turmoil. And I make no apology for being a strong leader and I will continue to be a strong leader as we move forward. So it has been a little bit of a roller coaster in terms of, you know, what Scott Morrison is saying about his own leadership. But that comes back to whether people necessarily think that campaigns maketh the leader. And I think that's probably been one of the questions of this election campaign. Scott Morrison is a very, very, very good campaigner, but does that make him a good leader? And I guess that's up to the voters to decide. Now, I think I'm going to know the answer to this next question, but what do you think the standout policies have been from the coalition camp during the last few weeks? And I'm presuming we're going to go down the housing slash superannuation route to start with. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, we don't actually have a huge amount of policies, so the housing superannuation route is absolutely where I would start with that. So they've come out in, again, the final days. It was the big campaign launch for the Liberal Party 
which might make a few people laugh that they're launching an election campaign five weeks after it started. And the reason that political parties often leave their official launch until the last minute of a campaign is because that's when voters start to switch on because not a lot of people are like me. They have lives and interests outside of politics. And so they don't start to actually pay attention to who they're going to vote for until it gets closer to vote. So you'll often see political parties just go, we're going to do a huge launch, capture the headlines, capture people's attention, and hopefully get them onto our side before they hit the voting booth. The big policy, the jewel in the policy crown for that campaign launch for the coalition was to allow anyone to access 40% of their super or $50,000, whichever was the higher amount, and use that towards a housing deposit. Now, this is something that previous coalition MPs from Malcolm Turnbull to Matthias Corman to Peter Dutton to Christopher Pine, like you pretty much name it, there's been a coalition minister who has said using super for your housing deposit is a bad idea because it will impact your ability to retire without needing more assistance, that you'll have less money when you retire. Scott Morrison is saying those criticisms don't count because what we're going to do is let you take money out of your super, but when you sell your house, you'll have to put that money back in along with any capital gains that you make on it. So they're saying we're covering you for retirement. We're also covering you for for super. It has been criticised by a lot of economists who say it is only going to cause housing prices to go up. We've had Jane Hume, who's the superannuation minister for the coalition. She admitted that there would be a short-term bump in housing prices because suddenly you'd have more people with a deposit going and competing for the same amount of housing stock, and that would cause prices to rise. Scott Morrison says that it's going to be, you know, a material rise in prices. We're not going to really see it. Either way, it's something that we've been talking about for the last couple of days. And that is what Scott Morrison wants, because that means that he's in voters' minds as they head to the polling booth. Well, that's their plan on how they are going to win this election. But if the coalition does lose, what do you think has actually lost it for them this time around? By and large, what the polls are saying, when I talk to people, you know, outside of politics about what they're thinking, what the coalition's own polls are saying is that Scott Morrison has been the biggest problem for the coalition. People don't necessarily have anything against the coalition government, but they haven't particularly liked Scott Morrison's style of leadership. They haven't liked how Scott Morrison has approached things, which is why we saw Scott Morrison attempting to distance himself from himself because he knows that he is one of the issues that the coalition have. So what are the flow-on effects? There are still people who are upset about the bushfire response. There are still people who are upset about the most recent flood response. There are still people who are upset over the way that the pandemic was handled in terms of how quickly we got vaccines. The fact that everyone thought that they were going to have their Christmas holidays, but we didn't have enough of the rapid antigen test in order to make that happen. There are people who are upset over how women have been treated over the last couple of years and the Prime Minister's response to that. So that is the, I suppose, the baggage that Scott Morrison is taking into this election campaign. 
the coalition have really tightly managed this campaign. Scott Morrison hasn't had to do many public meet and greets. It's all been very, very controlled about where he goes. And that's because at the beginning of the campaign, when it wasn't so controlled, he was facing hecklers. So that's one of the issues that the coalition is dealing with. And I think that that has been something that has got people a little bit hesitant about parking their vote with the coalition, even if they've been coalition voters in the past. Well, let's switch teams now and have a look at how Labor has performed. At the very start of the campaign, it seemed that Anthony Albanese seemed a little unprepared, especially for someone who's such a seasoned politician as he is. Is that the way you saw it? was definitely a lot of nerves from Anthony Albanese in the first couple of weeks of the campaign. And he is what other journalists like Karen Middleton, who wrote a book many years ago on Anthony Albanese, have called a confidence player. So the more confident he's feeling about something, the better he performs. And of course, no one is going to forget that in the first week of the campaign, he was unable to name the unemployment rate and he was unable to give the official cash rate. And that has continued to haunt him through throughout the campaign. It's something Scott Morrison mentions almost every single day. The government's line, the coalition's line, is how can you trust the economy to someone who didn't even know what the unemployment rate was? Anthony Albanese has recovered. He has said that I did know what it was. I just, you know, had a bit of a brain fade moment right then. But here is what I'm going to do to improve the economy. He has then turned to we're going to have more of a positive campaign. We're going to talk about what Australia can be rather than what it is. And we have seen that pick up traction over the last couple of weeks. But in this last week, again, things have gotten very, very tight and you're starting to see, you know, more questions over how Labor's going to pay for its policies. What are the differences between Labor and the coalition? Can Labor actually give wage increases? All of which he's coming up with answers for. It's just whether or not they're answers that are going to allay people's fears or concerns over a Labor government. Well, unlike the coalition's policies, it's a little harder to pinpoint what Labor's major winner is for this election campaign. What would you say Labor's biggest policy announcement has been? I'd say it's their childcare policy, which they have spoken about pretty much every week since the coalition called the election. And they announced it in their budget reply, you know, before the election campaign. So basically what they're saying is we know that women do most of the unpaid labour in the home. We know that women often are the ones who have to give up on work to take care of their child. And that is often because, not because they don't choose to go back to work, but because childcare is so expensive it doesn't actually make financial sense for them to go back to work. It's cheaper to stay at home. And so what Labor is saying is that we are going to increase the childcare subsidy to 95% to pretty much everyone, to about 96% of working families will be covered under the way that they would change how the childcare subsidy works. And they say that that will not only get more women into the workforce, it'll also help to increase productivity because you do have more people working, you have more money in the economy 
and you have all of the gains that come from having an increased workforce participation. They're also saying that it will help women because it's not only lost wages or experience when you drop out of the workforce to look after your children, it's also lost super earnings, which is a pretty big deal when you consider that the most likely cohort to be homeless in this country are women over 55. What do you think will lose this election for Labor? So Labor has to win absolutely every single seat that they hold currently and then at least seven to form government or they have to come pretty close in the case of a hung parliament when either major party gets the magic number of 76, which is what gives you government in this country. They're going to have to work pretty hard to get up to that. I think there's also a bit of political fatigue out there, which means that people aren't necessarily listening to the messages. People don't necessarily know who Anthony Albanese is. He's been in Parliament for even longer than Scott Morrison, but people don't tend to pay attention to people who aren't the Prime Minister. It's just a, a simple fact. They might even clock on with the opposition leader, but people have a hard time picking out the treasurer and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that they're not celebrities. They know they're just people who pop up on our television and it can be hard when you've got a really busy life to stay up to date with who is the government, particularly since, you know, over the last 10 years or, you know, 15 years, Australia has had a lot of different prime ministers and we've had a lot of different ministers. So that just means that people don't necessarily pay attention to the other supporting players. And so Anthony Albanese has had to basically not only tell people who he is, but try and sell Labor's policies. And of course, we did have those stumbles at the beginning of the campaign, which, you know, the media and the government continue to make hay from. And so that has given people a perspective in their mind of who he is, which he has also had to overcome. But I think that we're going to see people get into the ballot box and probably make up their mind when they're there. Because We talk about the polls a lot and people are always asking me whether they can trust the polls. The simple answer is while the way that they do the polling has changed and it does take into account more undecided voters and more minor parties, they're also very soft. And what I mean by that is that there's people who have gone, I'm going to vote for this team or I'm going to vote for this team when they're asked the question, but they're not necessarily absolutely set on that's who they're going to vote for. And they're very likely to change their mind when they walk into the polling booth. So that's why both major parties are giving absolutely everything they can to you over the next couple of days, because this is when the election is going to be decided. All of those people who have not made up their mind are going to be the ones who decide who is the next government of Australia. And that has both major parties worried because they just don't know if they've reached them. Now, the research tells us that a lot of those people who haven't made up their mind are women and that women at this point are the ones who are more likely to vote for the Greens in this stage. The Greens are hoping to get the balance of power after this election, but being a smaller party, the cut-through is, I imagine, even harder. Who do you think out of those smaller players, like is it the teal independents that we've been hearing so much about? Is it the Greens? Is it Palmer's United Australia Party who've spent God knows how many millions of dollars on advertising again this year? Who's had the biggest cut-through? 
Well, I think it's about $100 million is what Clive Palmer has spent, but you're right in that we haven't really heard a, a huge amount from that. I think it has been the teal independents that you mentioned, and we call them the teals because they're running in blue seats, but with green issues. So you mix blue and green together and you get teal. And so you're seeing a lot of and they're all women, come forward and saying, we're not impressed with how the coalition has acted on these issues, mostly climate change and integrity, and we want to see a change with that. And so what we're going to do is force the government to pay attention to us by running in the seats where we could have a chance of winning. And therefore, if we get in, either party is going to have to talk to us in order to make policy. So that has been a really huge, huge theme to this campaign, which we haven't really seen for the last probably decade or so. There hasn't been this much of a focus on the crossbench. And we call it the crossbench because they sit across from each party. So they don't belong to either of the major parties. They sit in a, a different area of the parliament and it's all of the minor parties and independents sitting together. So if we have a hung parliament and there is a very big chance that we could, a hung parliament meaning neither major party have got to that magic 76 number, so they need the support of the crossbench in order to form government. If we do get to a hung parliament, you're going to have a lot of people talking about what will that look like and what issues will the major parties have to compromise on in order to win the support and become government. So those undecideds in those seats with the teal independence have a huge amount of power. But women across the nation have a huge amount of power because the government might have been in a stronger position on the numbers, but they have to hold everything and win three or four to be able to win government in their own right. Given that we know that there are a lot of unhappy people in Liberal seats, given that we know we've got quite a few retiring members, we've got seats in Western Australia which are up for grabs, we've got seats in Western Sydney and Tasmania which are really volatile at the moment, it only takes a couple of hundred voters to change their minds in some of those seats and change the seat. And if you do that, then you can potentially change the government. So that is why you're going to have so many messages. I, I feel sorry for the women of Australia over the next couple of days and anyone in a marginal seat because they are going to be absolutely hammered by politics. And uh, I think if they haven't voted already, that democracy sausage is going to go down pretty well on Saturday because everyone can finally just say enough. Now we just want to know how all this is going to play out. Mark Kenny is a professor of Australian studies at the Australian National University's College of Arts and Social Sciences. He's also host of the weekly politics and public affairs podcast, Democracy Sausage with Mark Kenny. Mark, how do you feel this election campaign has gone? Who's come out on top in your opinion? Well, the first thing to say is that it's been inordinately long and that's been a pretty tedious election campaign. Pretty light on for big imaginative or adventurous ideas, big sweeping imagery and the like that we might have seen in, in some election campaigns in the past, including to some extent 2019, where Labor had some, some pretty big adventurous policies on the table. Uh, this election's been much more kind of workmanlike and really it's been characterised by both sides being in agreement on a good many things and, and in disagreement on relatively few. In terms of the campaign itself, I think you'd have to say that Labor has won the campaign, which isn't to say that Labor has 
necessarily campaigned better, but it's probably more just to say that the Labor Party has finished the campaign still in front. And Scott Morrison has appeared, I think, the more adept campaigner. He's depicted a, a more confident persona whenever he's talking and a bit more aggressive as well. But it doesn't seem to have changed voters' minds. So Labor went into the campaign in front. It ends the campaign still in front, perhaps less further in front than it was at the start. But there's always tightening in election campaigns, generally speaking. So I think you'd probably say Labor's campaign strategy has been pretty good. How do you see this all unfolding after the polling booths close tomorrow night? Are we going to be waiting weeks for a result or will we see something immediate? What's your prediction? We often hear this kind of discussion about, you know, things being on a knife edge, and it's quite possible that it will be so close in terms of the number of seats won by each side, you know, they'll be so close to each other. And there might be a few seats that are really hanging in the balance and the way they go could determine which side wins the election. That is theoretically possible. I think it's probably unlikely. It's a bit like, you know, when someone's asked who's going to win the grand final and they say, oh, look, I think it'll be a draw. It's possible, but it's also pretty unlikely as an outcome. Labor, as I say, goes into this campaign in a pretty strong position. From what I understand from talking to Labor insiders, there's still a fairly high degree of confidence that uh, their messages are resonating in the places that count. If we look at where the Prime Minister's been campaigning right up to the the close of the ballot boxes at 6pm on Saturday, it's been about defending seats rather than trying to get new ones. And I think that overall, it's going to be probably a more decisive result than a lot of the coverage has suggested. Part of that is because everyone is so shell-shocked by what happened in 2019. And so I think media commentators, even looking at the numbers, are still a bit reluctant to say, I think Labor's going to win, even though that does seem to be where the numbers point. So now you have just one more day to make up your mind. We hope this last-minute cramming session has helped prep you for your moment in the polling booth tomorrow. Good luck and happy voting. This episode of The Quickie was produced by myself, Claire Murphy, and our executive producer, Siobhan Moran-McFarlane, with audio production by Jacob Round. This podcast was made by Mamma Mia, the only women's media company in Australia. If you love the show, the best thing you can do is become a Mamma Mia subscriber. Mamma Mia subscribers get access to every podcast, exclusive videos and all the great articles on Mamma Mia. It only costs $5.75 a month, which is less than a large coffee or a small coffee if you get oat milk. If you believe in women's media, if you believe in a purpose-driven media company like Mamma Mia, whose core purpose is to make the world a better place for women and girls, please see the link in our show notes.